Hello everyone and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 11, issue 505 on Hollow Knight. Joining me, James Carter, in this issue, number 505 as mentioned, are John Salmon. Hi. Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And Thomas Quilfelt. Hey. Uh, so yeah, Hollow Knight is the game that we are talking about. Team Cherry, originally, uh, and their co-founders, co-directors are Ari Gibson and William Pellin. They are responsible for the design of the game. Then William Pellin, again, with this time with David Cassie, are the programmers. Ari Gibson handles the art. And Christopher Larkin is the composer who also has worked on Pac-Man 256 and Hacknet. So a very small development team for, for Hollow Knight. The initial development was for Windows PC. Shortly, a couple of months later, followed up with a Mac and Linux port. That was the 27th of February 2017 on PC, 11th April 2017 on Mac and Linux. So as mentioned, sort of um, a a good sort of four years from originally Team Cherry coming together, uh, two and a half years after the Kickstarter, so quite a quick turnaround compared to some Kickstarters. It was announced in January 2017 that Wii U development had ceased and it had been shifted over onto the Switch. It therefore, that move over to the new platform, took longer. It eventually did, though, in 12th of June 2018 uh, and followed up three months after that with the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One editions known as the Void Heart editions, which include all of the DLC bundled in. The reception to the game it's fair to say pretty strong. Open Critic has Hollow Knight at 90, uh, which is a, a mighty and with 98% of critics recommending. Uh, sales figures absolutely are somewhere where uh, this game looks incredibly impressive. So 500,000 copies in the first nine months. That was by November 2017. Um, just before the Switch release, July 2018, which is 17 months after its PC release, it had sold 1 million copies. Um, 250,000 copies sold in the first two weeks on Switch. And then by February 2019, this one's a little bit weird, but the developers said that 2.8 million people had bought and slash or played in the first two years because this was uh, in a February 2019 interview so or a blog post. So um, that doesn't necessarily mean 2.8 million sales, but given by that point, it would have been on multiple sales for Steam and, and Xbox, PlayStation 4 and Switch. So there we go. That is the development and reception to this game, but we haven't talked about our reception of this game. Uh, my history. So I am one of those people who knew that this was coming to Switch the moment it came out on PC, they'd already mentioned that they were going to transfer the over to port to the Switch instead. And I'd got a Switch in March 2017, and I just hung on. I just hung on and hung on and hung on for this game and did not play it until uh, July 2018 when it came to the Switch. Felt like this is a game to play on Switch. For me, I don't play that much stuff on PC. It felt like it fitted the Switch very well, and so I just waited um, and that was the first and until preparing for this uh, podcast, the last time I played it. I played through 61 hours, 107%. By that point, uh, the Grim Troop was in, uh, but the last, the Godmaster uh, DLC was not in at that point. 
So I hadn't seen kind of the full thing at that point. Hundred and seven percent, I think, was one percent off the the maximum. Uh, I don't think I defeated the the final boss of the Grim Troop, um, but I completely rinsed the game for just about everything I could at that time, and then I didn't touch it, despite loving it. I didn't touch it, and as has already been said uh, by I think Josh, it just grew in my mind over the past three four years now since nearly four three and a half years since i played it it's one of those where it did not diminish it only grew in my mind during that time uh and is absolutely a game that goes straight into my top 10 of all time there's no doubt about it it's why i uh, asked to cover it in in this uh volume knowing that silk song is on the way and kind of betting that it may come this year that's my history uh thomas how about you so I was snooty. I, I, when I think I first heard, I must have saw a quick peek or half a video or something. I thought that looks, that sounds like Shovel Knight. It kind of looks like a dark version of Shovel Knight, and it had Knight in the name, and they'd done a Kickstarter, and it felt like, you know, ill-informed. I sort of wrote it off and said, "Oh, I can probably ignore that." And then, as happens with these things, like Hades recently. Outer Wilds, these these amazing indie games of just such depth and quality that the buzz grows at least in in our echo chamber in the uh, um, and so I think it was it was sort of getting into 2019 and I was like I didn't have a switch and so I thought well it's time to jump in I think someone released a report saying there's not going to be a Switch Pro so I was like well, okay I'll just get a Switch and of course by that point I was able to play Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey and um Barbara's You and Hollow Knight and um Into the Breach and just the Switch library by that point was just embarrassingly amazing and and still haven't got through it all. Um Hollow Knight was one of the first games I played on Switch. Um I picked it up for ridiculously cheap, seven quid. Just embarrassing really. I would have given them easy forty quid for the for the kind of hours and, and experience of it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I got a bit addicted, really. I was kind of like sneaking 10 minutes in the kitchen in the middle of making dinner and, uh, playing it in front of the kids, which was maybe a bit naughty and, um, just really, really grew on me. I do love a good kind of deep game, like a Dark Souls. However, I'm happy to be a bit of a casual and just sort of do the quote unquote bad ending, um, put, you know, 50 hours into it and then be like, I can't be bothered with the radiance and all of that hard stuff. I just, I'm, it's going to take too long to, to get, um, to get that good. Uh, and I, I might try that on a replay one day. I I haven't Mm. replayed it. I I might one day, but, um, no, I was very, very happy to just sort of get good enough to see that ending and feel really full up. Um, and I think maybe it's because, um, I wasn't paying that much attention to the story, uh, unlike with Dark Souls, where it's all the lore videos and everything. Um, maybe if I'd got more into the lore, then I would have kind of got all the way um, or, or, you know, got into the gameplay that much. Um, but as, as I still still loved it, I feel like I got my fill. So. Excellent. Uh, Josh, how about you? Hollow Knight was one that I had heard rumblings about towards the end of 2017. I, I, I already said earlier that I kind of referred to it as like, wow, it really seems like Hollow Knight is a game of the year contender that we've all just <laughs> um, let us, you know, let it pass us by. Um, and lo and behold, it kind of, it kind of, it's weird. It kind of became a game of the year contender in 2018, even though it 
came out the year before. But anyway, yep. um, I I didn't pick it up on Switch. I picked it up on PC. I think it was on a sale at some point. Like it was out on Steam long enough where it must have been like twenty five percent off or something like that. Um, uh, so it was low enough that it motivated me to get it. Um, and it was ahead of the the Switch release. I think I played and completed Hollow. My my memory of how this played out might be slightly off. So I think um, uh, I played it shortly before the Switch version was announced and and released. Um, so I, when the yeah, and I really loved it. Um, mm. I I reflect you know m- much of the opinions that both um, Tom and James have just stated. I, I would reflect. Um, so when the Switch version came out, I was, I think I was pleading on Twitter like, buy this game, <laughs> like <laughs> you seriously, you will, you will really, really enjoy it. Um, so in terms of the the level of um, how much I've played of this, um, just for context, um, I've done a full playthrough on PC. Um, I didn't do the Radiance um, or all of that hard, difficult stuff. Yeah. Um, I have dipped my toes into the DLC. Um, I I can't speak to all of it, but some of it. Um, And I've also uh, started and not finished a replay um, of the game on the Switch. Yeah. And John, how about yourself? When did you come to Hollow Knight? So, uh, friendly um, fellow podcasters, uh, Bonfireside Chat, Mm -hmm. did... I'm just looking at this now because I have to remind myself. I'm also memory garbage. Um, they did a Hollow Knight episode fairly early on that I would have listened to. Uh, I've got a date here in June 2017, so just after the PC release. Yeah. And I remember listening to that and thinking, yeah, this kind of ticks all the boxes that I want it to. And I know that I bought the game on Steam probably around that time, but I'm a bit... I mean, I don't dislike playing games on the PC, but I'm kind of lazy and I'd rather sit on the couch in front of the TV with a controller instead. So I bought it which, you know, fine, gave my money to Team Cherry, supported them, all that. Uh, But I didn't get round to playing it until way, way later, Mm. by which time Switch was out, or Switch version was out. I still didn't have a Switch, so I think I eventually bought it on the PS4, and I've got it on the Xbox One now as well, and it wasn't until probably, I think, looking at trophies for the PS4 version, I started playing it in fairly early 2019 because one of my friends who i talked to a lot about games got heavily heavily into it and he started saying you need to start playing this so that we can talk about it (laughs) and i had a i had a really good time but i didn't get that far the first time i went on it i've I've still got the save file that i was looking at earlier for that initial playthrough and i know that it was i got 15 hours into it and i think part of me just, I mean, I I must have at least subconsciously known that it's actually quite a long game, but after fifteen hours, I remember feeling a little bit overwhelmed. I had various like branches open that all seemed very daunting in different directions, and I'd done a couple of quite hard bosses, but gotten stuck on a couple of other ones. And at that point, for whatever reason, something else came along, and I I put it down, and I didn't go back to it properly until around this time last year or maybe a little bit sort of April, May last year Mm. when I also happened to have, um, I was borrowing Tony's new PS5 at the time off him and 
while I was looking at some of the exclusives that were on that, like playing Demon Souls and um, Astro Bot and some of those new games, when I I realised that I could just he, he wasn't desperate to have it back, I thought, oh, what else do I really need to play that's on the PlayStation? Oh, I guess I'll I'll get through Hollow Knight and. Yeah, again, this was like bad lockdown situation last year, like a year into pandemic, everyone absolutely sick to the back teeth of it, all that. So I remember I had a really good time just getting really, really deep into it. And I've got I play through that I think was about 50 hours, 55 hours, uh, 105%. I think I think the total now is 112. Yeah, it is, yeah. So it's not too far no. off, but the... The bits that I just I beat myself up against and could not do. I, I fought Radiance but could not beat that thing. Yeah. There's at least one of the Nightmare Troop bosses that I got stuck on and didn't finish. I don't know if there's more after that one. Um, there's one of those, the trials where they stick a whole load of enemies with you um, that I got to. I think there's three of them and I did the first two and then just could not finish the third one. And the the boss rush stuff in that pantheon gets ridiculous. So I yeah. never I never finished the majority of those, and that's honestly not really what I was coming to the game for. I was there for the exploration and the the main game and the bosses and stuff that were all exciting. Um, so that was that was the point. I decided I normally any other situation I would normally like to completely finish this and see everything, but it just the bits that I couldn't do just didn't feel worth it unfortunately so i've stopped stopped there with the the sort of vague disclaimer that some point in the future i might come back to it so that was that's nine months ago now and the only thing i've done since then is i booted it up on the xbox this afternoon to have a a bit of a refresher yeah so started a new game and played it for about 45 minutes got to the um false night and beat them and then after that, loaded up the PlayStation version again, now back on a PS4, which is kind of weird that I played the whole thing on a PS5 and I'm now back to PS4 and and just loaded that up. And after playing it for an hour, it was like, on one hand, wow, all the upgrades and stuff that are just there, it feels very different. But on the other hand, it was like, I don't know anything about what's going on here. I wouldn't even <laughs> attempt to go and fight a boss now at this point. I, like the rest of you have said, I haven't really been able to stop thinking about it from the first time that I heard uh gary and cole talking about it it just sounded so compelling and then playing it a couple of years later or 18 months later uh, it was it was one of those real regrets of oh i started playing this game and i didn't finish it and now i'm kind of i feel daunted and overwhelmed by it and i really want to go back but i also i know that it's one that i i can't just mess about with it for 20 minutes and put it down it's one that i have to be free for a couple of weeks of all other games and sit down and play it and I've just never been able to stop thinking about it, and I still can't stop thinking about it now. So, that's our histories. Uh, You're probably asking, what is Hollow Knight? I've given it my best shot. Here goes. Hollow Knight is a 2D action platformer which leans heavily on exploration, partly gated by abilities that the player gains throughout the game. Very much in the mould of genre-defining titles like Metroid and Castlevania. Okay, so to kick us off in our discussion of the game, I thought we'd start with a piece of forum feedback. So before we uh, record, actually, when the volume is announced, when all the um, the shows are, are announced, all the issues, and you are free to go to our forum, sign up if you haven't already, and leave your thoughts on a game, and we will try. It's going to be hard this time because we got a lot of feedback. We're going to try and include as much of your thoughts on the game as possible. 
And Toonscotoon on the forum gave us a good kicking off point, I think. Uh, so Toonscotoon says, Three years after first playing, I returned to Hollow Knight right after playing Metroid Dread as a point of comparison. After a very full playthrough, what I found was that, although I have love for both titles, I prefer Hollow Knight to even the most recent entries in the 2D exploratory action RPG, RPG genre. Some of my preference can be chalked up to the combat, which builds intensity and urgency with close quarters engagements and a textured application of HD rumble. Simultaneously, the interplay between music, art style and art direction, the designer's commitment to sharpness and the themes of light and dark, all left an impression on me as a player. However, Hollow Knight's true masterstroke seems to be its premise of a bug-themed world. By choosing to shrink down the setting, there became something believable about this tale of destiny and destruction. I'm not saying there's anything entomologically reasonable that goes on in this story. I just mean that it felt believable that somewhere in the universe, a world this small could develop into something so rich and detailed, full of personality, culture and character. As an introduction to our setting, uh, I guess I would say in the beginning there was light and dark, which <laughs> which sort of touches several different different uh, inspirations and uh, relevant uh, touchstones for this. And one of the most beautiful things I heard the devs say, I cannot remember where, was that they were excavating the levels as they designed them. You know, that's something yeah. of the of building the world downwards. Yeah. There's just something so satisfying about knowing that that kind of that's the experience they had. Yeah, yeah. And it also speaks to the fact that at the start of the game, you begin literally at the top of a cliff above a town that you're then going to go down through the world. It's all down. It's not you start in the middle and the good places up above and the bad places down below or the, you know, you've got, you're expanding out. You're very much going down through the, um, through the world as you, uh, as you progress. If you don't know what you're in for, or if you don't know much about the game, it's your first playthrough. I, I found that idea quite in, really intimidating in a good in a good way, in a kind of you know titillating way, like just this foreboding. Um, you know, definitely bits of Dark Souls that give you that that feeling, or Soulsborne games. But um, yeah, the idea of going down, there's yep. just something really um, kind of intriguing and off-putting at exactly the same time. It's like salt and yeah. sugar popcorn. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, it shouldn't be good, but is extra good. But yeah, it's a, it's a pit in the middle of the town, much like um, in Dark Souls 2, just a pit there that you know you have to go down. In, in this, in Hollow Knight, it's right at the beginning of the game. You can't really put it off. You just have to go down there and you just have to, th that becomes part of the, the, the game uh, to me, is just that, you have to get used to dropping into something where you've no idea what you're going to find below, uh, and it might be deep nest. And that's not to say that there's not bits in this where you go down and it just gets worse and worse and worse. There's still some <laughs> some incredible like down and then back up. And I think the point that I originally stopped playing the game was when I got to oh, what's the city called? Is it the City of city Tears? It's yeah. like yeah. right in the middle of the map, and it's this huge area, and you come down through it. And then you go back up, and somehow, despite being underwater, like it's raining and the music kicks in, you've got these glass structures and stuff, and you go up higher and higher and higher mm -hmm. through the archives and stuff until you get to this boss at the top of it. And then it's also got like sewers and waterways underneath it. It just embodies the like the peaks and the troughs so well. Yeah, yeah. There's obviously like metroidvanias that have spaces that 
that work in terms of um, variety and all of that stuff, that's that's nothing new. What I think's impressive is, and this is definitely something it's taken from from software, I think, is that feeling that we can create this variety, but there's still like this logic, there's still this interconnection between all of the areas. So like, for example, the City of Tears, which we've already mentioned, if you go above that area, there's a giant, like uh, what in this world is like a lake in in reality is probably just like a A puddle puddle, right (laughs) yeah yeah but like it's above it's above the city of tears and that's what's creating that constant rain and it's and i love that and that's the soul's energy there is just yeah exactly visible but when you realize what it is yeah yeah it's it's just these that attention to detail that that wanting to have things um you know that wanting to build connection between things that that may seem disparate, but also not feeling the need to call attention to it. Like yeah. I, I think a lesser designer, a lesser you know studio would have a character like point out, oh by the way, uh, there's a giant lake above the yeah. you know the city <laughs> of Tear. No, they just allow the player to kind of build those connections in their head, and uh, this is kind of bridging into aesthetics um but i think we're heading in that ter- territory sure, anyway yeah. but it's it's still it's still about hollow nest and, and this world the way they use different types of insect or different types of invertebrate to create culture to create different biomes and and using them as the as the centerpiece for that particular environment is really really inspired um i don't i don't think you know the whole humanoid insect thing is is nothing new i mean P- pixar were doing it you know 20 years previous yep. um but this take on it this this particular style this particular more you know more mature um i, I mean it, it kind of looks like a tim burton cartoon i know that's maybe overplayed as like a, an observation, but it, it does. It looks more like a dark fantasy rather than than a Pixar or you know anime or whatever. It, it, it's not kind of um, it's not approaching something that has been done in a similar way as those those other those other titles. It's it's really clever. It's hand drawn, but beyond that. Uh... It was explicitly hand-drawn for a couple of reasons. One, it gives it this sort of uh, distinctive look we've talked about, but the second is that it actually cut down on development time quite a bit because it didn't need the art to then be rendered. Instead, what uh, what Ari Gibson, the, the artist, um, did was hand-draw and then literally with his phone photograph the page and then transfer that into <laughs> onto a computer to be able to sort of cut out the the image and, and put it into the game it's it, it's so simple that is amazing but, but amazing yeah. yeah absolutely so it's like an yeah. iphone and photoshop were key development tools for <laughs> it sounds game. like it yeah I, I i i can't fathom it but obviously artists will will understand that better than i but yeah the game has a pretty muted color palette it looks quite dark generally but it wasn't until writing up these notes that I realised that, partly because I've just been in a place that's very low light at the moment, 
uh, and and it mutes all the colors. When you're in low light, you don't see the colors because there's no light for them to return to you, essentially, for any object to return to you. So the fact that it's got a largely muted color palette does a couple of things. It means that it actually feels like you're in a low light environment, like being underground would be. You would only get hints of shades and colors and that kind of thing. But it also makes where there is color, like the greens of the, the foliage and green path, the orange when you come back to the Forgotten Crossroads and the infection spread in there, and then when the Grim Troop arrive, you really know if anything is related to the Grim Troop in this game because the red hits you. They just It makes those colours stand out where they are in the mm. game uh, because in so much of it they aren't. And that sounds like it should be a, a, um, a bad thing, but it really isn't. It sounds like it should be a criticism, but it's really not. It's, again, restraint, as you say, Thomas. It's really, uh, really outstanding. I don't know whether this was a happy accident or also a, a deliberate decision behind why the game looks the way it does but it's also really readable um mm. in terms of like gameplay and and ho- the ho- hollow knight's position on screen and and everything like that because you have that bright white helmet yeah. and everything else is kind of gray or or black in the environment but then then the enemies themselves will also be highlighted with like bright white um 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 sections mm. and usually where their weaknesses are right yeah. um it, it just helps in terms of you know because there's a lot of information to keep track of yeah. in terms of enemy attacks and all of that stuff what 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 animations are going to kind of signal what kind of attacks they're going to do um so having that readability having that that ease of like i know where i am i know where the enemy is i'm not confused i can keep track of everything yeah. Is really really key, especially for some of the more intense uh, boss fights. So Seth from the forum to wrap up on the the look says the look and animation style of Hollow Knight's characters and world are stunning. It's simple and cartoony in its presentation, but every enemy, NPC, and location are bursting with personality. And the fact they avoided using the now cliched sixteen bit pixel art style and went with something more original only makes it look more impressive. And following on from that to uh, take us into our next section, Badger Catcher from our Patreon. So in addition to the forum, canadianrince.com forward slash forum, we also have a Patreon. And if you are a, a Patreon subscriber, uh, before each uh, each issue is recorded, there will be a call out for any feedback to all patrons. So thank you very much, obviously, to everyone who provided feedback. And this one from Badger Catcher from Patreon. The way the visual style and audio design work together is absolutely sublime. I will always remember the first time I arrived in the City of Tears and heard that piano tune playing against the sound of the rain or entering the Colosseum of Fools for the first time and hearing the crowd explode into roars and cheers behind a clearly dead king. Absolutely beautiful. And yeah, Deep Nest makes a really good uh, point here because its look is oppressive. You've got a lot of um, clutter around the screen kind of hemming you in almost, making it quite claustrophobic. But the audio design there still raises hairs on the back of my neck. So Christopher Larkin, when I first listened to the soundtrack before I played the game, I was like, "Eh, okay, you know, it sounds like an indie game fantasy soundtrack. I was quite dismissive. And then, boy, have I changed my mind on that. Uh, And the entire uh, video game music community has just embraced the soundtrack massively. But on the audio front, his work is brilliant. There's just the reverb of this game. Not enough people talk about reverb in games. The reverb sells the ever-loving 
f out of this world. And it's just not something as a gamer you would ever really think about. But the the wetness and the the length of the reverb is just perfect for the different er, er, uh, areas. And if you turned the soundtrack off and just listened to someone else playing it and just carefully listened to it, sound is so crucial in this game. The enemies, the attacks, um, voice. He uses voice. I don't know whose voice it is. I think it might. The marketing bloke said in one interview that some of it might be him. Um, There's weird uses of voices in places that you wouldn't expect a voice to be and noises and grunts and stuff and it's it's the the audio is absolutely is absolutely every bit as good as the um every bit as good as the graphics and then the soundtrack you know that as i say the the community has taken that to taken it to heart they don't do that very often they do it with like the celestes and the undertales of this world um but uh, people really really love this soundtrack and i love especially the 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 dirt mouth the starter area it just there's the gravity of it and then you go from that and and um christopher larkin clearly has an orchestral background a lot of the tunes are very kind of orchestrally based there's like baroque stuff in there and classical stuff in there and harpsichord and that kind of thing sadly because of the budget they're working with he's using digital instruments for the most part for the original game i, I hope that might change i suspect that might change for silk song but um he, he's such a brilliant composer anyway it doesn't really matter um, and then the metal kicks in and then the rock kicks in and then there's just these insane riffs and, uh, you know, Darren Corb, eat your heart out because some of the bosses in this game have absolutely killer rock tracks, especially the stuff that was added later as well. Um, it's just all audio all round by one person is just, you know, absolutely, absolutely top draw. We have quite a bit of um, forum and Patreon feedback. Uh, I'm just going to summarize some on the mechanics um, here. So Shadowless Kick from the forum uh, praised the aesthetic and uh, the mood, um, but the gameplay didn't actually do it for them. Uh, said they didn't didn't make the strongest first impression uh, because of the controls and something that I think we will talk about quite a bit is that when um, you hit enemies, you've got a bit of knockback. Your nail hits and kind of clangs against them. And because the theory is most of the enemies you're fighting will have carapaces and hard kind of chitinous uh, uh, shells, there's some knockback. So you're damaging them, but you get knocked back a little. So you're constantly managing your position with every hit. Uh, And that was something that Shadowless Kick raised as a a definite downside. Um, And mentioned the way that the sound kind of is dulled, pulled way back down, for damage was something that they found particularly jarring just based on uh, what Tom you were saying there um and and pretty much the same as you said Josh just that it knocked them out of the situation and panic kind of set in instead of making the correct next move I several times instead of dashing away from danger ended up dashing into it just because I panicked and did the wrong thing uh, so that's definitely true for me um yeah, so uh, a slight negative there. Um, another one from Truck Kurt on the forums, who uh, Hollow Knight just didn't grab them. They're a fan of Metroidvanias and said that uh, they'd heard a lot of praise, but after trying it twice, couldn't stick with it. Um, problem, they reckoned, wasn't so much with the game, just that they felt they needed more guidance. We will get into, that's going to be the next thing we talk about, is uh, exploring the world and just how uh, little the game actually does to kind of lead you through. It's very much uh, asking the player to do the exploration off their own back, which is not something a lot of modern games uh, do so much. Um, On a uh, 
more positive note, uh, Bixer on the forum said they originally tried the tried Hollow Knight uh, and hit a wall about eight hours in. Again, just could not work out how to proceed. But then this year, um, post Christmas in January, uh, just last month, found themselves with a bit more time and ended up playing for forty hours over a couple of weeks uh, with a bit more patience and exploring absolutely everywhere. They managed to make sure every turn they could find somewhere to progress and somewhere to go to to move forward. And lastly, Mixer, Mr. Ixolite from the uh, forum says, Every place in Hollow Knight feels unique, um, with their own look and atmosphere and some environmental gimmicks. There's a lot of platforming, but that actually worked for them. We'll get into that in a bit. There is one particular section which is notorious in this game. Uh, for tough platforming, um, but they also agreed that move, exploring was really rewarding and that uh, finding a bench and sitting down and adding to the map was something that was absolutely some the highlight of the game for them and as good as getting to save your game is seeing the map be expanded out and the night the little animation for the night scribbling down on the map is uh, is delightful. So let's talk about that map and world. Uh, exploration so, Ari Gibson uh, has commented on this and said that Halloness is actually intended to be disorienting to explore with only some key signage and the map is meant to be, initially at least, fairly minimal. Well, initially, not at all. Then when you get one, it's still fairly minimal. Um, uh, the, the idea was that there's a fine line between it being compelling and frustrating and they were trying to walk that. They wanted to compel the player to explore and fill out the map and get to know the environment but not frustrate them. Uh, yeah. Which obviously is a fine line to walk and didn't work for all of our uh, our forum feedback. But how did we all feel about uh, about exploration? I, I think I think it's uh, it's one of my favorite things about the game. Honestly, um, I love the balance that it strikes, and and the reason why I love it is because your first time going through an environment. Is that that place at its most hostile, at its most mysterious, at its most um, confusing, disorientating? But whenever you have to go through it again, it's easy. Yeah. And I think that is the compromise you need to strike with this kind of game: is that you want that initial fear, you want that, you know. Sorry to bring up Dark Souls again, <laughs> but you know, you know when you first enter an area in Dark Souls and and you've got the shield up and you're like, what is around the corner? But on your like fifth time playing through it, you're like, right, okay, we're in Onolondo, let's go down the stairs, blah blah blah. Like, I th- it's hard. So Dark Souls doesn't have a map straight up, but I think that's a lot easier to accomplish with a 3D game because you have landmarks, you have things off in the distance that help you orient, know orient yeah. the, the think, player and the brain just the human brain probably it, it processes information yeah. 3d right whereas with with 2d if and and i believe there are games uh in this genre that actually attempt this have no map whatsoever it just uh, me imagining it it would just be so frustrating because you can't project forward you can't see landscapes outside of your sphere of influence right um so striking like striking that balance of like the first time you go through an environment that's when you don't know what you're doing but once you find the the map you know the map creator 
once you sit on a bench and, and kind of fill out the space, um, then you, you know you're shrinking that space. You're you're increasing your knowledge. You're 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 making it so the second time through you're fine. Um, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, it is. It is excellent. I I find it difficult to remember how I felt, how lost I felt going the first time through. I definitely agree that that's that's part of the joy of the. The first playthrough, the first most part of the the first playthrough is just that that going into those areas blind. Um, the thing that most impressed me is just the the size of the world, and not in a kind of like, oh, this is the biggest Red Dead game yet, or the maps the size of Skyrim times eighteen. It's just the literally and figuratively the depth of it, and then finding out how big the dev team was. And then just being continually amazed by how much, you know, there is still to explore, how much further you go down. And I just I'm just left in complete awe at the yeah. vastness of the game and not in a in a kind of big for big sake in a bad way, like I consider some open world game, you know, modern open world games. Um it's just a it's just a titanic achievement, really. Yeah, it it's it's specifically that it's at the scale that it is while maintaining density of encounter design unique enemies unique scenarios all of that stuff it doesn't feel like it's like you say um tom it doesn't feel like there are spaces there that are just intended as filler it feels like it's all still purposeful it's all still serving a function which i think is the most impressive thing about how big it is it's 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 meaningfully big the best of these types of games nail this really well is having the world that is huge like this but also at any given time you've got multiple different Mm. pathways that you can go down and you're not set the game does not say i mean in some respects it does but it doesn't it doesn't say right you have to go in this exact path through it at any given time and i think that's something this is not the metroid dread podcast and i'm not here to bag on metroid dread but something that frustrates me a lot about that recently is how many points there are where you literally only really have one main place that you can go to to move the game on and the unlocks are there so and it does in some ways funnel you from point a to point b to point c and you can take small diversions but if for some reason, like I did, you get stuck and you miss the area that you're supposed to go to or you don't realise that you've got an ability that can get you through a spot and think that you have to go back there later, then you just wander around doing nothing. And I've spent probably three hours in Metroid Dread where I kind of got lost and it was extremely frustrating. Mm. Um, and that just, when you've got something like Hollow Knight where you always have those multiple pathways that you can go down for a long time and there will be different unlocks and you can do them essentially in different orders. It makes it feel so much more cohesive and just much... There's never the frustration or the the anxiety that it's gone wrong because Mm. you're always... You've got multiple correct ways to go and you will go in one of them almost assuredly. it's, it's It's a tough balance to strike because... Obviously, you don't want the player to be frustrated and lost. You want them to be excited and lost, and and that's a difficult thing to do. And and if you go too far the other way of leading a player by the hand or by the nose, I I tend to say uh, by putting signposting everywhere. Exactly as you say, I've been in multiple games where I I've kind of turned my brain off because I'm just going to the next way marker, uh, and I get there, 
And for whatever reason, I just don't see the obvious thing in front of me I'm supposed to do. And I feel like part of it is because I have turned my brain off because I just went to the way marker that someone put on the map in front of me or on the HUD in front of me. And that's not to say that's entire. That's the only way to frustrate someone. You can absolutely frustrate people, as I'll read out another piece of uh, feedback in a minute. You can absolutely frustrate someone by by not showing them where to go and and if the person doesn't start to look around and find something it can feel like you're just going round in circles and that can be equally frustrating but it it must be such a nightmare to design these games and try and and be all be be everything that each individual player needs um for for example uh, Robin Enrico on Patreon says Hollow Knight is such a mixed bag it started strong, but then opened up to become a giant map that left me going in circles more often than not. Every time I needed to consult a guide, it felt like a failure. Yet once I was exploring the next area, I was fully engaged again. Dark Souls and Metroid hide optional things, and there is a joy in finding them. But Hollow Knight frequently hiding the critical path is unfortunately what I will always remember about it. And I think that speaks really well to what we're talking about is when I couldn't see what the critical path might have been in Hollow Knight, which I actually... I, I was never aware of what whether what I was doing was critical path or optional. I just went and found something to do. And that's kind of the difference there, I think. There is always something to do. But if what you want to do is always move the story forward, move you know to the next objective, Hollow Knight really doesn't do a lot to, to help you in that respect. Even when it's putting the masks that you have to go to, to uh, confront the, the dreamers and break the seal, it doesn't often actually tell you how to get there. That's just a mask in the middle of an empty map place because you haven't yet opened it up. So you're kind of going there, not really sure how to go and how to get there. So it, it's definitely um, something that I can I can see the frustration in. Uh, yeah. That's one of my favourite feelings increasingly in games, though, is seeing a, a, a point on a map, knowing I've got to go there, but the map is blank, and thinking, oh, that's cool, you know, I'm going to have to go yeah, and what's, what's figure that, that place out. Yeah. But but uh, as with all of every video game ever, it's like know thyself. If 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 you know if you think that kind of thing is going to, if you're one or the other, this game definitely I can see rubbing rubbing some people up the yeah. wrong way. In terms of uh, positive response, Sam C from the forum says the greatest joy of this game is the exploration. The game does not hold your hand, but cleverly makes sure that whichever way you go, you can make progress. The number of times playing this game you think, wow, after discovering yet another new area. It also welcomes sequence breaking, especially with nail bouncing. As an example, uh, Sam says, I got into the hive before getting the monarch wings and got my, we'll say butt just to be sure that's not a swear word, kicked pretty hard. Um, and yeah, actually, it feels like, the, the, I think... Playing Hollow Knight reminds me that there is so much difference across different Metroidvanias and how much gating they're actually doing. In this game, there is actually much, much less gating than you would think. There's only, like, I could count a handful of keys. The King's Brand obviously opens up uh, the back half of the game. The Tram Pass opens up the ability to move on the tram, and you definitely need that to get to some areas. And then there's only, I think, three different types of keys. Simple keys open up a couple of doors, elegant key for one specific place, and love key for one specific place. Other than that, the abilities are actually more often needed to open up shortcuts or ways out of areas uh, and find collectibles and secrets. They don't actually often gate your ability to get into an area. 
with an ability, uh, meaning that you can sequence break quite a bit, meaning that you can get yourself into trouble, absolutely, uh, as Thomas, yeah. you've already said. There's something that I, I really love about the abilities themselves, mm. and I think a lot of um, my favourite examples uh, examples of the genre do this, is that they change your relationship with the environment. Um, so, for example, and some people have argued that some of these abilities, you know, you should have had from the beginning. And I get that to a degree with stuff like the double jump and the wall jump. But the degree that, like, especially towards the, the you know, later on where you're getting the, the super... I've forgotten the actual name of the ability, but the one where you supercharge and you fly across the map. Yeah. Um, and then figuring out how... As long as there's like a flat wall that you can go up against, like you can you can do that anywhere. Yeah. Like you suddenly realize that there are multiple like spots where you can do this and unlock secrets. I love that. I love that these abilities are not just um, you know keys that unlock doors or or you know abilities that are exclusively for combat purposes. Yeah. They they ch- they fundamentally change how you play the game. Um, and that's that's important to how this game um, maintains its like sense of momentum and sense of um, you know co- constantly kind of challenging you with with um, you know new encounters and new bosses is that um, it's not just that you know you're engaging all of these imp- uh, opponents and all of these environments and landscapes with the the same tool set with um just like a you know like control is really guilty of this i know control has all these different psychic abilities but ultimately i feel like mo- apart from the float ability you pretty much engage with the environment in exactly the same way from beginning to end um and keys are overused in that game here you are just like going back up to the upper levels you are flying through those environments in a way that you w- you won't have done at the yeah. beginning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I really appreciate about the abilities here that it's it doesn't happen in all metroidvanias uh but it's the idea that you can see where there are bits that you can't get through. Like it's obvious that you need something to p- progress beyond this point, but it's not immediately obvious what the thing that you're going to get is. So, for example, again, to bring up Metroid Dread, there's a lot of points there where you go into a room and it's really, really hot and you can't survive in there. And you you just know, okay, there's going to be an upgrade at some point that gives me heat resistance and then there'll be a cold resistance one and there'll be something that lets you move underwater better and there'll be a double jump. And and part of that is because, okay, it's multiple Metroid games down the line. But some of the things in Hollow Knight, you come up against these weird barriers and you just... Hey, you can probably intuit that there's going to be a dash and there might be some sort of a, a flying ability and there's almost certainly going to be a double jump. But it's not it's not quite as cut and dry as that. And something they do super early on that I like is the entrance. I think it's where you get into Green Path or you go off the from the very beginning of um, uh, where you go down the hole in the town. If you go into that room to the left, that's a very big, deep... Um, corridor with a load of flies in it the the next room i think it's the one that goes into green path 
the entrance to it is just blocked by this this big beetle that keeps curling up when you get close to it and it's obvious that at some point in the game when you see that for the first time that you're going to have to get beyond that thing but you don't know how you're going to do it and that's that early point in the game i think is the absolutely the most funneled section where the game near enough makes you go around and do that fight with the uh, the false knight and then you get the the blast ability that gets you past that beetle but it's it just the idea of seeing that beetle and not being immediately obvious that what's going to happen and it might happen immediately might happen in you know 20 minutes with the first ability you get or it might be something for the end of the game and i really like that just not knowing and the mystery yeah. of it uh josh you've already mentioned a couple of the abilities almost every single ability you get in this game aside from specific nail upgrades are are movement based so you get mothwing cloak which is your dash you get mantis claw which is wall jumping crystal heart is your super dash josh you referred to that earlier monarch wings are your double jump isma's tear means you can go in the acid pools without uh taking damage um shade cloak allows you to dash through enemies and then as you say uh tom there's a uh, I believe it's Shadow Shade or something like that is the charm. It's Shadow Something, certainly, which allows you to actually damage enemies when you move through them. Um, and then the Dream Nail has a bunch of different uh, uh, sort of actions associated with it, but is also used to fast travel. Um, so, yeah, it, it's actually kind of astonishing that a lot of the stuff you're doing increases your mobility. And I think that speaks to... Um, some of the feedback we've got and some of what I've heard people sort of complain about is the game's actually quite tough to go back to from a new start on a second playthrough because you feel so limited and it feels so slow to move around the place. Whereas once you've got all of these, you, uh, Josh, you mentioned earlier, you are dashing, super dashing, double jumping, just all over the place. You are bouncing around like you are in a bells and whistles platformer. Whereas when you start out, it feels a lot more slow and a lot more deliberate because you just don't have the tools at your disposal yet. And it's it's not even just that that's difficult to go back to a fresh game that I found this afternoon. Um, it's the the uh, presumably near-infinite levels of customization that you can then add with the charms on sure. top. Yeah. And there's a few of the charms that I think you get quite early on that I found absolutely instrumental to playing yeah. this game and mm. starting it up fresh and not having yeah. them makes it feel really weird and clunky and one of them is the the little butterflies that collect all of your geo for you so that you don't have to pick it up like that to me okay you know it's a it's a very minor gripe but that feels like it should just happen um because it's so weird when you're in very vertical locations having this stuff go everywhere and half of the time it falls into like spike pits and stuff that you can't get it so i wish that was just built in but i guess it does it does add a an extra wrinkle to it and the other one that i had constantly equipped for my playthrough as soon as i found it was the one that reduces that knockback yeah so that you can just stand and hit and not then well, fall backwards I mean, into a pit like an idiot some expert players have sort of complained and said that that shouldn't even be available because it it negates one of the core parts of the of the game and the gameplay yeah um, i think that's a, a weird thing is i i i don't necessarily agree that um the the knockback and the the amount of time between the dashes and the amount of time it takes to heal are are inherently bad things about this game. But the fact that you no, can, the the healing particularly feels very specifically designed yeah, for that, doesn't but it? But the fact that instead of the charm adding something to 
what you can do, that it just negates or improves something that is therefore seems to have been designed to be a problem? Like, is there only knockback so that they can put a charm in to remove the knockback? Is the dash a little bit slower than you like so that they can give you a charm that makes the dash more snappy and, and quicker to, to be able to sort of chain together? Um, I think it's an interesting question. Dash Master goes straight on as soon as I get it and it stays on the whole game. Hmm. I want to be able to dash as much as possible. I am tapping that, that um, right trigger, uh, in my case on Switch, more often than it will allow me so that I dash as soon as I can. Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely that. And, and the waypoint on the map, again, is that something oh, yeah. that should be there? Does You don't want to have to give a, sl- a single charm notch to that waypoint on the map. But I'm going to. If I'm not in a boss fight, that that's on there because otherwise it slows me down so much having to analyse that map and work out where I've got to and where I need to go. So I'm just going to put it on. Uh, and I think that's the thing. It's designed that way. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but I get that it rubs people the wrong way to have to give up charm notches to something that kind wow. of feels like you're just but making... There's a, there's a positive side of it yeah. as well because I yeah. found that when I had those things equipped as standards, when I had the Geo Collection yeah. thing just constantly on and the the marker on the map and the knockback yeah. thing, as I played through the game and I actually started to not need Geo very yeah. much because I'd bought out the entirety of the shop and I knew the level well enough that I didn't need to have the map marker thing, that was a point where suddenly, oh, this, this is actually now great that I've got a couple of extra slots that I can use for something more yeah. important. And it felt like like a triumph of yeah. I've now thrown away that crutch of having yeah, to yeah. have the map marker pin yeah. on constantly. But it, it, it keeps the charms valuable, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, the, going to the charm menu in this game, each one of them feels, even the, the, the little picture of them, they just feel really valuable to yeah. me, every mm-hmm. single one of them. And if I'm using a different exploration they're so quick to load in and out i don't think of it as like a a complicated thing to like change loadout but getting to a boss okay if you're doing the same boss over and over again and you need to switch charms repeatedly and you keep losing to the boss that is annoying but you know the the fact that you get to the boss room and you're like okay i'm going to really weigh up i'm going to take off the map charm i'm going to take off this and that i'm going to really weigh up what is going to help me and my deficiencies yeah beat this boss and keep by keeping those charms feeling valuable when you find a new one in the world that gives that little dopamine hit when you yeah, you know definitely. discover something at the end of a path so that makes uh, that enriches exploration right um and that's that's just that that sense of value throughout all of these things i think is crucial to yeah. what what kept me going with this game so i think it's it's absolutely essential that those design decisions was kind of yeah. made to make things less enjoyable in the first place, and then and then yeah, yeah. charms to negate them because you want those charms and well, yeah. the the thing that I love about the charms and and, and we kind of t- we've already kind of touched on this, but I want to go a little yep. bit deeper. Is that they first of all they don't do the, the Gary Butterfield talks a lot about this on um, Watch Out for Fireballs. It doesn't do the modern game thing of the two percent frost damage, where <laughs> they don't <laughs> they they don't modify stats to an insignificant no. amount. It's always a meaningful change, yeah. whether it increases the range of your nail, um, it changes the behavior of certain spells. So, 
like a really cool um ability that um uh charm that exists is the the fluke fluke worm ability a uh, fluke nest yeah. sorry fluke nest ability which changes your projectile spell into a swarm of maggots um but not only that it, it combines with other abilities and and changes the effect further so if you combine fluke nest with defender's crest instead of a swarm of maggots you just get one giant <laughs> maggot that gets flies forward and and that's just one example almost the binding of isaac but level there's of loads, yeah, there's like loads of combinations like yeah, that very cool yeah, yeah. I think I loved uh, Quick Slash Scrub Song Steady Body. I can't remember exactly why they were so good because it's been a couple of years since I played the game. But uh, I definitely know there's those ones that just you see them on the thing and you you reach immediately for them. Yeah. yeah. And and it just gives you this sense of kind of like, oh, that is the right one for me. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that I really, really like about them is that they're aesthetically fantastic. Mm. Scrolling over to that oh, yeah. screen with, yeah, the, um, with all the charms on it in their rows, it's like looking at the... Um, Ah, oh, what are the painting things called in Disco Elysium when you're looking at your um your stats or looking at the um the tree where you equip different things and they've all got these really sort of grotesque looking paintings and it's just the same thing. Like I just sit there and look at the screen and um enjoy the weird little circular artwork yeah. on that makes them look like little. I was going to say, I, I'd love a pin set of those. I'm sure someone's made yeah. them, but it, that's that's what they yeah. feel like. They feel small and valuable and weighty, but and, mm. and the fact that you get 12, I think it's 12 charm notches in total when you get it all upgraded. And there's 40 charms, many of which take up more than one notch, some of which take up five. So you are so limited in how many charms you can equip at any one time that, as you say, Thomas, it really adds to the, the how valuable you feel and how important a decision it feels when you want to swap one out. Um, yeah, ab- absolutely. It, it, they are... And it works both yeah. ways because, you know, in super giant games, the, they, they like to add things to make the yeah. game more difficult, um, player driven difficulty. And in this, you know, you can easily see a, a really high level player saying, well, I'm not going to use this one or that one. I'm going to deliberately, you know, restrain myself from using this yeah. particular one because for me, it's overpowered and it takes away from the game. Uh, and, and, and that kind of giving the player that kind of agency as they do with sort of giving the player agency over exploration as well, in a way, um, I think makes people build a deeper relationship with this game than some others. Yeah. We've kind of uh, talked about mechanics sort of roundly, but one area we do need to touch on is death. And uh, Daniel Glass again on the Patreon um, talks about the sick devastation that they felt when they died on the way to pick up a huge stash of Geo that they'd lost. So, yes, absolutely. And I absolutely appreciate the Googling frantically to try and find some way to get that back. And there just isn't in this game. So uh, there, there's no particular saving. What you do is you sit down at a bench and your health refills. That also fills in your map. It allows you to manage charms. Uh, and it becomes your respawn point from then on. So it's not a save point, but it is a respawn point. It is where you'll come back to. And when you die, uh, you 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 do a corpse. You have to do a corpse run. You essentially drop the same as... Souls is going to be the reference, but there are many games that do this before and since uh, Dark Souls. Uh, In this case, you don't just... Originally, you were just going to drop your skull with a crack in it. And then they thought, well, wouldn't it be funny if, like, Void crept into the skull and brought it to life? And then they actually ended (laughs) up just putting a shade version of yourself, the Void Soul, if you like, version of the knight there. 
uh, and it will attack you. It has three different attacks, I think. It can attack you with its own nail, it can do a projectile attack, and it can do a, uh, a downward slam attack on you. It will try and attack you. It takes, at different points of the game, two, three, or four hits, depending upon how upgraded your nail is, to um, defeat. And only at that point do you get all of your geo back and your soul vessel that is uh, three charges worth of health uh, that you have to fill up by killing enemies um, is reduced to two. It's cracked and the top comes off it. And so until that point, you can't heal as effectively as you otherwise otherwise would and you don't have your uh, geo back. Um, so a lot of what I've said there will sound souls-ish, uh, but how do we feel about the, the sort of death mechanics in this game? Did... I guess we've all felt this the sting uh, that Daniel mentioned of <laughs> losing that giant uh, geo stash. I I don't think it, it, it I don't think it's quite as harsh no. as its um, as its um, you know main inspiration for this mechanic. With with Dark Souls, souls souls are everything. They're your currency. They're the way you level up. The, the leveling it, up's the big thing. The you, you, you lose weapon. that, you don't get to be stronger next time around which means you've got the risk of failing yeah exactly yeah whereas a lot of what you buy um with geo um well they can be don't get me wrong like they can be significant they can you know change the way you play um it doesn't block your progression in the same way um you're still getting abilities you're still you know um you can still progress um so it doesn't sting as hard and and I think what that allows is is the game to be a little bit crueler and, and get away with it. Um, so you already mentioned the um, uh, you know the the shade that attacks yeah. you. How relieved were you when you first discovered the bank um, <laughs> where you could deposit deposit Geo, thinking, this "Wow, is this is really this kind." Re- I wasn't expecting Hollow Knight to be this generous. <laughs> I thought, you know, the more the further I progressed, the more Geo I'd lose. But lo and behold, they they do have a only for the banker to just make off with all of your cash. And go to the spa, <laughs> and you're just like, I I have ne- and I I mean this in a good way. Like this, the game engendering this reaction is actually really cool. I was furious. <laughs> I was genuinely really, really angry. And when I found the banker... Uh-huh. Did, did you even like, hesitate? I just dest- destroyed them. <laughs> like, I, I just... I have never... The, the, there are so many reprehensible characters in this world. That banker is the most evil person <laughs> amongst everyone. Just because... The, just the cowardice yeah. of it. Just Anyway... I, it was a really funny so, moment. I, I think it's just like a really... Yeah. Like, comedy is hard in video yeah. games, especially when it's centred around mechanics and systems in the game. That was really funny. That was a that was a very funny, yeah. practical joke. So the, there's the a couple player. of yeah. things. The point where you go in yeah. and the bank thing is just like a cardboard cutout yeah, exactly. that falls over. <laughs> I, I struggled to be mad because I was laughing. So the other thing so you can much. do is if you've got the dream nail by that point, you can use it on the banker and some of what she's thinking kind of gives away a little bit of what's going on. But yeah, you can then hit it and the cardboard cutout falls over and as you walk out, the bank sign falls down as well. Um, I, I kind of, I appreciate that when you find the banker, you can you can hit them 
and they don't die, they go into their shell, you get a load of money out of them, and you can keep hitting them over and over again, and actually get out more money than they stole from you. Yeah. I yeah. kind of wish they didn't do that, because she says she's mm. used all the money, and obviously you don't, or she's lost all the money. Obviously you shouldn't believe her, and you should hit her and try and get the money back, but I kind of wish you didn't, just for the the malevolence of that joke to stick, almost. We definitely need to get on to talking difficulty. There are 47 bosses in the game, including DLC bosses and variants of other bosses that are found in arenas and uh, the pantheons that were added. Uh, We had a lot of feedback on difficulty. I think, unfortunately, we probably don't have time to read through all of this, but it's fair to say there was absolutely as much negative as positive feedback on the difficulty. Some people saying the difficulty really kept them you know, kept them on their toes and really forced them to enjoy the successes. But just as many people saying, no, this was beyond what I was capable of. And actually, because you can't upgrade your character's base stats just with Geo or just by grinding out, you kind of need to find those limited resources I mentioned. There's not kind of a lot you can do about it other than just, as I do, uh, my successes in games are never because I'm good at games. They are always because I just... I'm patient and keep banging my head against the wall until it works. Um, and that kind of feels like it feels like I'm a good fit for this game in some respects because I definitely, on replay, being three and a half years later, I've lost any muscle memory I had for these bosses. Traitor Lord took me as many tries second time around as it did first. How do we feel about difficulty? I like that I was able to get to where I wanted to and feel totally comfortable with the fact that there were challenges in this game that I just was not prepared to spend the patience. Yeah. You know, to pra- like we, we say get good, we joke about get good, but it's practice, right? Yeah. I play musical instruments. If I don't play them much, I'm, yeah. I stay And some rubbish. people take more practice than others. Some people take less. That's kind of yeah, just the way Yeah, I mean, aptitude, motor control, yeah. all of that. Personally speaking, I enjoyed, it was hard for me to to finish some of those bosses some of the areas, some of the enemies, like when Crystal kind of pops up and makes a platform unguardable. And um, the main, I think the, the the downstrike, whether or not you've played Shovel Knight, the downstrike to kind of jump on spikes yeah. was something I never really felt that good yeah. at. And so I think if I'd felt more comfortable, because everything's deliberate, every button press is deliberate. The, the top players at this game, it's like a top fighting game or something. Every single dash, you know, um, uh, 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 nail strike, yeah. everything is very, very, very yeah. deliberate. There's very little, if it seems, down to luck with what you're doing. And I think with that kind of game, it, it takes even more practice, but then there's a high, scaling, high skill ceiling. So for me personally, I was very satisfied with the difficulty. and I was happy to jump off at the point and know that other people would go on and do the White Palace and yeah. and those harder boss rushes and stuff. And, and and I felt good about that, honestly. Yeah, I I I think the difficulty on the main path yeah. is pretty well judged. Mm. Um, I I wouldn't compare it. Like, don't get me wrong. I think it it, it requires rigor. It's it's not a pushover, um, but I think as long as you stick to the main path, I, I don't think the comparisons to Dark Souls, to FromSoft's um, work actually make sense. Um, I think this is much closer to the 
the level of difficulty that's kind of expected of a Castlevania um, yeah, or a so, yeah. uh, or a Metroid. Yeah. I think it's 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 at that yeah. level. Um, it's only in the optional content yeah. where the difficulty gets really really intense. And when I say optional content, I I don't just mean like the DLC or certain paths that you can go down that you don't need to but also like the optional ending um the radiance yeah. um i've never done it but it looks like hell on earth uh frankly um but um but because all that stuff is optional i think it stings yeah. less um i i don't think like it's there for the people yeah. who want the challenge if you if you want to activate that stuff if you want to engage with that stuff fill yeah. your boots like there's nothing stopping you but if you're a player who just wants to experience the atmosphere and just wants to experience the story and the world and the characters and you know have a little bit of rigor but not too much you can totally complete the game without yeah. without too much trouble the ultra hard stuff being gated being put into content like boss rush modes that are absolutely wild so the highest form of the boss rush mode where you literally fight 50 something bosses with i think maybe you get a bench after every five or something but it's not (laughs) it's just a joke like and it you know to fight a boss rush that then finishes with all of the nails hard bosses that you couldn't beat just (laughs) on their own in the main game anyway is is practically an insult um i think the the one bit that i drew away from it that I, i don't want to say it was a particularly disappointing but it was maybe felt slightly underwhelming and Part of this, I think, possibly is because I didn't, uh, I wasn't super on top of the storyline as I was playing through the game. But the the three sleepers that you go to find, who they get marked on your map yeah. very, very early yeah. on in the game, I was pretty convinced that I was going to get to those points and they were going to be <laughs> three yeah. very difficult bosses. And to get there and just find it was basically just a, a button press yeah. to activate a thing was a little bit of an anticlimax for me. But then I think in each case you do have a reasonably difficult Absolutely. boss fight yeah. just before you get to the marker Or a difficult, map, difficult so. environment to traverse as well. Yeah, they're yeah. often in some of the tougher places. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I absolutely tend to agree. When I think of the difficult spots in this game, it's stuff like the White Palace, which you need to do to get to the Radiance. The Radiance, also incredibly tough. Um, Colosseum of Fools gets there uh, not... Depends when you when you tackle those, obviously, but entirely optional. The only sort of sticking point I'd point to on the main path, I think it's on the main path, is Traitor Lord, um, which I found uh, very difficult, as difficult second time around as first. Um, and it, I don't feel that that's remotely an unfair fight. It just it takes me a lot of practice to not make mistakes. One thing I will say is, like the Hornet fight was a particularly bad example of this. I think. They all have animation tells for what they're the move they're about to do, but oftentimes the enemy will also hornet's a great example she will shout something before she makes the move. The thing she shouts is not tied to the move, so if you're not careful, you hear something and you hear one exclamation and think a particular move's coming, but it's not because it's not tied at all. I think that could have been something that would be really nice to sort of marry up and make sure that there's an audible cue as well as a visual cue before a move. Um, but that's nitpicking. I still made it through Traitor Lord both times. I still had a blast banging my head against that. And every single time that Cloth jumps down and, and shouts, Whoa! 
I absolutely loved that was just <laughs> thrilling every time, even though I was making mistakes and, and kind of uh, failing that fight. Um, I mean, for this tinier team to get so much right with um, feedback, you know, boss feedback, audio yeah. cues, that kind of thing, tells for just a tiny handful yeah, yeah. of people yeah. to kind of get that so mm. right across such a vast game is an amazing thing such that when it is a tiny bit unfair or there's something obscuring the thing, it's so infrequent. Um, it, it feels like a miracle yeah. to me that they got so much right. You know, people complain with Cuphead, don't they, about no knockback or, or, or no um, visual feedback, particularly from the enemies, to know how hurt they are or getting yeah, hurt. Or, yeah, no, or it's just a health flash, bar or whatever, it? yeah. And, and presumably that's to do, to do with the complications, the animation, a small team, stuff like that. But but here it feels much more um, responsive and uh, uh, tiny touches of slowdown. And I, again, I think of Hades, which is another all-time favourite of mine that gets a lot of that stuff absolutely nailed down. And I guess what you could say about Hollow Knight and Hades both had, you know, Kickstarters, talk to their communities a lot, I assume some of the feedback on that, some of the refinement on that came from the sort of the very best early players. Yeah. All right. We're not going to have a lot of time to spend on story and characters, which uh, when I mentioned uh, to Tom that the amount of lore that I was reading through was daunting, you seemed surprised by that. I think you, you said, good job, there's not much off I just No, no, no. no. Look, we all know there are games we enjoy and we we even if we enjoy them a lot mm. and we go for the platinum or whatever but some games you just don't particularly engage with the story don't care yeah. about it uh that yeah, much even if you're loving the game aesthetically that's one of these for me you know i can watch i've probably watched flipping 40 hours of Soulsborne law videos vati video could have you know built his career just on my my <laughs> viewing um and those games live in my memory i've watched whole run-throughs of dark souls 2 i've never even played it but for this game which i really enjoyed mechanically and aesthetically yeah. I couldn't honestly tell you a single thing about the story at all. I just, I just don't remember. I didn't really grip me at the time. I just don't, you know. Yeah. The, the dialogue was funny and funky and stuff, but yeah, I just it did not get me at all. I think for for me, the the game is much more about flavor and and character. Yeah. So there are memorable people that you you bump. It. We've mentioned her a number of times, but yeah. Hornet is the the standout right and it's yeah. really memorable um but there's also um characters like um uh Quirrell. there's also characters like um oh god who's the the fool the idiot one Zolt. um oh um oh, yeah. Zolt. Yeah, uh, yeah, Zolt. yeah yeah Zolt's really memorable every time you bump into Zolt, he's managed to absolutely get yeah I, see, I remember nonsense. him he's hilarious yeah. yeah, and the, um, the girl who's obsessed with him who kind of switches from loving the Hollow Knight to loving Zoe and his... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. And, and there's like there's like mini stories as well. Yeah. Like um, there's the whole co the collectible uh, grubs that you can find. Yeah. And, and at first you're like, oh yeah, I'm re reuniting this family of grubs. But if you follow that to its conclusion, it has a pretty grim ending to that story um, where the parent figure basically eats all of the grubs and you <laughs> go back in and it's just this giant grub. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there there are narratively really interesting things going on. But like the broader narrative, I feel like you could sum it 
up to uh, sum it up to just like there's an infection yeah and a hollow knight kind of cycles in and out to to you know take on that infection so it doesn't corrupt the the hive essentially Isn't that the story of most video games it Isn't hits it hits a lot of familiar <laughs> beats yeah for sure um yeah. So yeah, uh, Seth from the forum says uh, praises the sort of Dark Souls style of storytelling where it kind of drip feeds you and breaks up the information and you have to do a certain amount of piecing together over the course of a whole playthrough um, and build in some environmental stuff. Um, and for Seth, uh, they ended up saying, discovering new areas became addictive to me and it was this more than anything else that pushed me to play for one more hour. And I think that kind of encapsulates it for me. I wanted to see the new areas and it's the individual characters you encounter and the kind of story that builds up with them. The likes of Hornet, the likes of Bretta and Zolt, um, the likes of Quirrell, absolutely. Um, even just Cloth, you only have a couple of encounters with, with Cloth, but she's a really memorable character because of the animation, because of the way she looks, because she happens to be clearly designed based on... a. Uh, uh, um, well to me based on the dark souls character but maybe not um the story josh you talked about with Millibel the banker those are the kind of stories i remember and that's not to say that the overall uh narrative is is lacking necessarily but it's very much there was a kingdom radiance was the god then in came this other higher being called the pale king who kind of stole the worship of all, a lot of the citizens there the radiance was forgotten and from that somehow uh the radiance she was only remembered in dreams and that bore an infection then the pale king and the white lady the king and queen decided to trap the radiance and the infection in a vessel so they started making thousands of these soulless mindless vessels to trap the radiance in and that's who your character is it turns out they didn't make them as soulless and mindless as they thought and so the radiance starts creeping out and then it, it is just, it's the story you tell through the game. And that comes through much more in the, the art and the um, the animations and the music and the the just the atmosphere of the world uh, for me. I didn't go through the whole log that you build the whole way through and read all of the text and the, all of the different sort of pieces of information you're given. But I did watch a 77-minute YouTube video, which was excellent by Mossbag, <laughs> who clearly did all that work, that the, the Vatividius-style uh, sort of um, redux of it. There are two videos. It's the more recent one, the longer one, 77 minutes, called The Mostly Complete Lore of Hollow Knight. And it is, actually, there's some really cool stuff in there. You can really go back into the, the land before Hollow Nest and, and kind of work all that out and the, the different stages of trying to fight the infection. But the ultimate story is a tragedy of uh, desperate people making bad decisions to try and save their kingdom, yes, but also their power and their influence. And that starts to feel like, you know, you can point to Dark Souls, you can point to many other games that have, you know, infection breaking out over natural environments and your job is to go and fight the infection back and save the natural world type thing. There's a lot of those kind of well-worn uh, paths going on here, but it really is the the atmosphere and the uh, the style with which this game addresses that stuff that I think sticks with me, definitely. So yeah, uh, is there anything about the the particular stories? I think we've mentioned some of our favourite kind of narrative beats uh, that have happened throughout the games. One thing we haven't talked about is endings. Um, 
we have mentioned that a base. So one thing I will say, um, Ari Gibson and therefore Team Cherry, uh, kind of themselves as a whole, have said all endings are equally canon. They do not like the notion of a true ending. So that kind of speaks to beating the Hollow Knight, getting that ending of the game is as valid as going through all of the Godmaster stuff and and to the nth degree of doing all of the extra challenges. So that kind of is is uh, in service of saying the extra stuff, the DLC, the going through the, the White Palace and the Radiance is all cherry on top for people who really want that. Uh, but endings-wise, it does speak to kind of, a, there is a certain amount of the cycle begins again where the Hollow Knight puts, or sorry, the Knight puts itself in the place of the Hollow Knight uh, as the new vessel. Uh, but Hornet also plays into that. I'm I'm guessing, obviously, most of us have either seen the Hollow Knight or the Sealed Sibling ending, uh, and then only, I think, a couple of us have actually gone on to defeat the Radiance and get the Dream No More ending. None of them are happy, good endings, necessarily, I should say. They all have tones of tragedy, and this is just delaying the inevitable sort of going on in them. It's not... It's not a game that I I would ever start thinking about. You know, you start The Last of Us or whatever to 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 think I want to see the end of I want to see the end of the of this game and it will give me it will either make me mad yeah, or it will narrative give me some resolution kind of closure yeah. or whatever. But 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 you know I, I I came to this game thinking you know people really recommend this game. I got everything out of it I wanted to get out of it. The final boss was a anticlimax uh, fight-wise, but I knew it was going to be, and the, and the ending was what it was, and that's fine. And and you know, kind of how I approach Soulsborne games as well. But just the, the 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 meat of the rest of the game is so filling to me that it really doesn't matter the the ending, and it sort of doesn't didn't resonate with me either either way. Uh, I wasn't disappointed with it either, which is which is pretty cool as well. I mean, perhaps if if you could like tell the game. I'm not going to do the Radiance. I'm not going to do any of the other stuff. So maybe make the Hollow Knight a little bit harder yeah. for me where it might be a bit easier for people who are coming back to, you know, going through it to to get to the Radiance and stuff like that. Um, I don't know how you would do that. But, but you know, for instance, Bloodborne has a, a tough final boss. And if you get some of the stuff and do the final, final yeah. boss, it's actually not that good a fight in the end. So, um, you know, you could have been perfectly happy the first time with the first final boss if you see what i mean yeah yeah my i've never fought the radiance but my my understanding from people who have is that it it wasn't a highlight of the game for them so i i really don't feel like i'm messing missing out and also in this case this isn't so (laughs) anyone who's played persona 4 knows what i'm talking about this isn't a situation with a bad ending could potentially ruin the game no. for you, <laughs> like uh, Persona Four. Um, uh, I, I think the you know the 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 lowest bar to you know entry ending is really satisfying. Narrative yeah. really satisfying narratively, um, and it works. And it's not like your character comes out the other side uh, looking good in any no. of these no, endings, no, right? Not, no. um, like the the only character who's possible to have some some kind of bittersweet ending with is um yep. is Hornet, but your character's doomed no matter what. Um, yeah. So 
Yeah, I, I think they all work um, to differing degrees. Yeah, I think in, in any of the endings, it's fair to say the the knight, different from the Hollow Knight, which is the final boss, um, ends up at best making a sacrifice that you could interpret saves Hollow Nest. At worst, the sacrifice is merely delaying the same thing happening again. Um, and then, yeah, it comes down to what happens to Hornet. And so... To say that all endings are equally canon, well, yes, but Hornet still needs to be around for Silk Song to happen, which we'll come on to in a sec. So each of the endings kind of does make a difference as to where Hornet ends up, and that is kind of the only place where one of these endings or other may end up being more feasible mm. with, with Silk Song. But, but, but all of them leave it open to interpretation as to what actually happens next anyway. But I'm really looking forward to Silk Song, but I don't care about sure. which the yeah. canon yeah, ending yeah. is, you know, which is different from something like yeah. The Last of Us Part One or Part Two or whatever. You know, I'm just happy to to, to for them to lay it on me yeah. again, really. Yeah. So that is where the endings uh, are. There's five of them. Two of them are purely Godmaster stuff. So we're talking a very few people will probably have seen those. <laughs> I certainly haven't because I, I didn't make it through to that stuff on this playthrough. Um, but the other endings, plenty of sort of gaps that you can kind of slot Silk Song into perfectly reasonably uh, in terms of, of that game's canon linking to this one. Um, so the legacy of this game, uh, quickly on speedrunning, uh, Hollow Knight actually opened AGDQ in January 2019, roundabout when you played the game, John, um, which was a huge thing. Obviously, this game spoke to that people of that kind of mindset, and as you will see from the records here, an any percent, any glitch record is 4 minutes and 44 seconds. Obviously, that's just glitching to the end of the game, but it's possible to beat this game in 4 minutes, 44 seconds. Um, that's not necessarily current patch, I should say. Uh, any percent, uh, no major glitches, so some glitches, just not the big ones. Uh, record is 32 minutes, 16 seconds, and 112% all Pantheon bosses, so fully complete, everything done, 3 hours, 11 minutes, 28 seconds. I don't, I almost don't want to watch it because I don't <laughs> want to know how that's possible, uh, but that is astonishing. Um on that aforementioned Silk Song, the month on the forum says they can take as long as they need to on Silk Song because I know whenever it gets a release date, I'm going to have to replay through this game, Hollow Knight, and that means tackling all the optional parts, DLC, and killing the sun, the Radiance. Not sure if I'm emotionally ready for that. Good game. Every game's better with DuckTales pogoing. Yeah, we should say that's something we've kind of tangentially talked to, but yeah, Shovel Knight-style Mega Man, well, DuckTales-style pogoing. Uh, entirely possible and, and responsible for some of the sequence breaking if you get really good at that. I never did. I made the bare minimum of what I needed to get through the game. Um, so, on Silk Song, there is one piece of DLC that was never released for this game. To say that four fairly sizable expansions uh, came out after the game's release and they were all free. There was one piece of DLC that was a stretch goal in the Kickstarter which was Hornet as a playable character. And very quickly after promising Hornet as a playable character, they also said, Team Cherry, that it would be in a new land uh, called Farloom, we now know. Uh, so it was never going to be just, here's Hornet, but the same game. It was always going to be a huge amount of extra work for Team Cherry. So fair play to them for taking that uh, challenge on. 
however, it increased in size so much that in February 2019, on Valentine's Day actually, uh, it was announced that uh, Silk Song was actually going to not just be added into uh, Hollow Knight, it was going to become a full sequel called Hollow Knight Silk Song. As far as I'm aware, it's never actually had an announced release date, so technically has never been delayed, but we are now, <laughs> I checked this day of recording, 1,087 days since the announcement. I know because there were articles written about it being 1,000 days and how other games that have hit this mile mark, uh, landmark. Uh, so that's since the announcement of the full sequel, not since we knew some version of Silk Song was coming. Um, the only clue we have is there was a GeForce Now leak, I think last year, um, that had a bunch of games and release dates for them. Uh, the one that people point to as being valid was God of War PC, because at the time that wasn't even known about, and then it did come out in roughly the sort of time that that suggested. Uh, that leak said that Hollow Knight Silk Song was listed for release in February 2022. So unless they do what they did with the Switch version and do a day and date sort of shadow drop of the game, uh, not a full shadow drop because it's already announced, but like Nintendo Direct and here you go, here's the game. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced that's going to hit February 2022, but as Damon says, I'm kind of okay that they take as long as they want to. Not that I'm not absolutely desperate to play this, but... Yeah. I think avoiding Elden Ring might probably be a for good idea. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I'm happy for it to be vaporware <laughs> for now. I love, love a good bit of vaporware. So there is plenty of information known about the game. Um, there have been Team Cherry blog posts. There is a Game Rant summary of everything that's known. Some of the stuff, if you search for Hornet on the Hollow Knight wiki, you can, uh, or if you search for Silk Song, you can find out a lot of the stuff that's already been announced. There's been some bosses revealed, enemies revealed. We obviously know what Hornet looks like. Uh, we know that the land is called Farloom. So there is a lot of stuff getting out there, as you would expect in a game that comes from developers who are used to sort of kicks from the Kickstarter. Being very communicative, they are. They have a blog post. You know that it's coming straight from the developers because those are the people that are that are running the blog as well as making the game. Um, so yeah, plenty to look forward to. No release date as yet. Don't hold your breath for February 2022, even though we're recording this just in case. Um, <laughs> and you just hope that they, you know, there's been a pandemic since they announced it. You just hope that they're not under too much absolutely, pressure. Absolutely, yeah. That, yeah. And uh, no, and they've said it. in interviews they wanted to keep the team size yeah. small. I don't know if that stayed stayed true to that, but but just for quality yeah. control. Um, so yeah, you hope that they're looking after themselves and kind of making it at their own pace. And and honestly, they've earned so much goodwill. Uh, a bit like with something like Outer Wilds yeah, or Undertale, yeah. that, that I think as desperate as people are for it, people's patience seems to be a lot longer for a small team that they feel like they yeah. know because they've been yeah. more public. Um, so it feels to me like at least there's there's some empathy for them, uh, you know, to take as long as they like. Yeah, I think every time a Nintendo Direct is announced, there are people saying, Silk Song, where's Silk Song? Will this be Silk Song? And asking those questions to the point where <laughs> they nintendo as well as as team cherry have had to come out and at times say there will be nothing on not directly nothing on silk song <laughs> but you know don't you know try and tamp down expectation and i think it all does come from a good place and certainly from my point of view it's all excitement but yes no well said uh tom absolutely the important thing is that a developer of this size makes it through the pandemic and hopefully knows that people are 
really excited for this game whenever it comes. All right, some final pieces of uh, of forum feedback. I think we just about have some time for um, that. Uh, I will quickly uh, batter through a couple. Uh, as always, thank you for your feedback. Sincere apologies if we didn't get all of your feedback in. I did have to edit um, for for time. And if we didn't get to yours, it was probably because someone else uh, was making a point that you also very beautifully made, and I just had to make a judgment call on uh, which which one made it in. Um, so, Alex79 on the forum says, This game was a perfect example of right place, right time for me. I came to an exceptionally low point in my life a few years ago. I'd been suspended from work for something that wasn't my fault, and the threat of losing my job was very real. My brother was also in hospital on the wrong side of a life-threatening illness. He recovered, thank goodness. And I was sitting at home by myself all day, every day, looking for ways to escape my own thoughts. Hollow Knight was a game rich with atmosphere and lore that I could just totally lose myself in. From my first steps into Hollow Nest to the final seconds, I just loved everything about it. The melancholy music suited my mood perfectly and the almost oppressive overtones of the game were something I found oddly comforting at the time. A little guy fighting against insurmountable odds was something that just resonated. The traversal and the combat were another were uh, also highlights for me, and I relished the ridiculously difficult platforming sections, just trying and failing and trying and failing again and again until finally managing a perfect run and the success that came with it. I loved the character design, the bosses, the whole style of the game. Hollow Knight is probably my favourite Metroidvania I've played so far, and I really can't wait for the sequel. Um, Josh, would you be able to take JC Van Damme, please? Hollow Knight is one of my all-time favourite gaming experiences. I adore the melancholy aesthetics that permeate all parts of the game, from the incredible mournful soundtrack through to the bleak world design. It all comes together to make Hollow Nest feel like a real place, and I became totally lost in it. I have extremely strong memories of hearing the echo of my battles in those deep, dank places, and the relief of hearing the strange chatter of one of Hollow Nest's weird inhabitants, knowing I'd found a spot of relative safety in that oppressive world. There's lots you can say about the mechanics of the game, most of which I really enjoy, but for me the lasting memory of the game is its intense sense of place and the almost sorrowful feeling it gave me while playing it. I absolutely love this game, and I'll be there day one for the sequel. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Tom, would you be able to take the next one from Wuking Long? I hope I pronounced that okay. Also on the forum. I really did feel engrossed in the world of bugs, and was always excited to see what a new area looked like. The City of Tears is literally dripping with character, sombre, eerie and beautiful. The incredibly adorable grubs were a great reason to explore every nook and cranny. I was ultimately somewhat disappointed in the combat. It felt great dashing and slashing, but the bosses felt short of the challenge I was hoping they'd provide, given how much pay power the player has in terms of movement. The final boss in particular was a bit of a, wait, that's it moment. Even if Hollow Knight wasn't the most impressive when it came to memorable combat, for me it still delivers a new, unique experience that I feel stands tall among the lights of Symphony of the Night and the best Metroid titles. My critiques may come across as a bit negative, but I only nitpick to this detail for games I really like or really dislike, and Hollow Knight is definitely in the former category. 
Thank you very much. And John, could you finish off our forum correspondence from Jack Darcy 42 please? I think Hollow Knight really is more than the sum of its parts, and everything comes together in some really magnificent and unforgettable ways. I'll never forget stumbling my way through some forgotten nook or cranny to hear Corner for humming, humming away in the distance, walking through the City of Tears for the first time, challenging the Mantis Lords with Nail held aloft, teaming up with Quirrell to take down Ta'umu, I think that that thing, <laughs> uh, climbing up on the atmospheric kingdom's edge, feeling my skin crawl in deep nest, piercing together some of the story's deepest mysteries beneath the ancient basin, and perhaps my favourite moment of all, finally making it into the White Palace with some of the best music in the game. Every single zone has its own memorable stories and moments. Thank you very much. Uh, we also have some pieces of Patreon feedback. Uh, I will kick us off with uh, James Burton, who says, Achieving the triple crown of beating the Radiance, traversing the path of pain, and defeating Nightmare King Grimm is up there with my proudest gaming, gaming achievements. However, how anyone completes the Pantheon of Hallownest, a non-stop gauntlet of every boss in the game, with some in even tougher form, is beyond me. That must surely be one of the sternest challenges in all of video gamedom. Ah, uh, yeah. Winged Nosk sounds absolutely terrifying to me. Okay, uh, Josh, could you take Rick Buxton? I got a small taste of what Dark Souls fans always bang on about when defeating some of the bosses in Hollow Knight. However, I'm not the most patient when it comes to challenging games. I remember after one death too many, the Switch controller unwittingly flying out of my hands and smashing a vase on the other side of the room. My girlfriend looking on with a mixture of shock and bemusement. Beyond the odd grumble here and there, I usually show more restraint and have not thrown a controller pad since childhood. Side note, the vase was cheap and it didn't and I didn't like it anyway. Um, I think the reason I drifted from Hollow Knight about halfway through was just getting lost and having to wander around aimlessly fighting the same enemies. Unwittingly, yeah, yeah. huh? Completely unintentional. <laughs> but I also hated that that pass. <laughs> um, Tom, would you be able to give us Neil Piper's uh, feedback, please? If you have a Switch OLED or an OLED TV, the world of Hallowness looks absolutely fantastic. The colourful, contrasty but melancholy world is a great 2D showcase for your fancy screen. Doubly so if you have a new Xbox series or PC as 120fps Hollow Knight also controls very well. I'm always impressed that Team Cherry was, uh, was only four people when they put this game together Given how vast the world is and how complete everything feels, it's one of my all-time favourites, and I can't wait for Silk Song. Very good. Uh, yeah, I haven't tried 120 FPS. Uh, I am playing it on a Switch OLED at the moment, and it does look very, very nice. I can attest to that. Um, okay, John, would you be able to round us out on feedback with uh, Ginger Tastic, please? Unfortunately, I really didn't get on with this game. My first impressions of the game were good, with its strong art direction and fantastic dark atmosphere accompanied with an incredibly melancholy score, I was 100% into it. However, it didn't take long for me to start getting frustrated by some of the design choices. In particular, the running animation is a bit weak, and the basic traversal is not fun. Knockback on hitting enemies is just annoying, needing to buy maps and not being able to see myself on the map without a charm. Boss fights have no health bar, and some are massive damage sponges. 
Many of the areas look very similar, which makes nav navigation more difficult than I would have liked, and the game is way too long in my opinion. Additionally, the hoops you have to jump through to get 100% or 112% are bonkers. Uh, the point I guess I'm trying to make is all these small design decisions could easily have been addressed without affecting the game's own identity. With these small quality of life changes, I might have gotten on with the game better. Interesting one to end on, I thought, because I'm not so convinced that that wouldn't affect the game's own identity. But I also agree, going back to our difficulty decision, that if a game like Celeste, as tough as that can be, a sort of basic situation, can allow customization and changes to the way things work in the game to allow everyone to be able to play at whatever challenge level they they need i do wonder if we won't see in silk song a little more uh ability to to tweak some of that stuff obviously some of it might not work you know needing to buy maps could you reasonably flick a switch and just have the maps fully available from the start i don't know how that would work but um yeah we will see turning on uh health bars and boss fights would be interesting though okay uh as you can gather from the amount of feedback you've heard and believe me the amount that you didn't thank you to everyone who submitted and apologies if we didn't read it we had a load of response and the same was true of three word reviews so in addition to putting out requests on patreon the week before and and um forum threads being put up by jay we also on the day of recording put out a request for three word reviews from our twitter account at caden rinse and we got a load. We got loads of them back. So thank you very much for all of those. We will read through them now. And Josh, would you be able to kick us off, please? Yes. So Alex79 says, Melancholy, masterful Metroidvania. Toong Skatoon says, had me buggin'. Wu Quinglong says, save the grubs. Uh, from Shadowless Kick, Molasses, thick atmosphere. Mauricio MM says, goth bugs life. Mr. Ixalite says, Ah, Barfanada. <laughs> Chris Smith says, Too bloody hard. Uh, Danny Spiteri says, Anything but hollow. Nick Moon 93 says, Slash jump dash. Uh, Angry Kurt says, Hard and frustrating. Chris Tarrant, presumably not that no, one, says, Gloomy but adorable. Uh, Deadbeat Punk has, Grubfather decimates compassion. Yeah, it's rough. Wado says beautiful, brutal adventure. Uh, raw chord, tiny yet powerful. John Cheatham says sad, adorable bugs. From Josh Clark, tough as nails. T Bone Dog uh, says enthralling <laughs> secret hunt. J Mero One says really astonishingly good. Robin Hoodie says keep walkthrough handy. And I will round us out with Ben Wilde who says, cutesy Dark Souls. Uh, okay, summaries. Uh, I picked a order before we started, and we're going to stick with it. Um, Tom, would you like to start us off with your summary of Hollow Knight, how you feel about the game? Yeah, it's, it's one of my favourite games of the last few years. Um, I don't have a long history with sort of Metroidvanias. I've never played a Castlevania ever. I've only played and completed Super Metroid and that was on a 3DS much later on so I wasn't in the you know proper zone for it. So for me the brilliant thing is I get I sort of got to come to Hollow Knight as my first I think it's my first 2D Metroidvania mm. that I've certainly that I've ever beaten. And um I don't know if uh no that's not true I played Guacamelee. 
uh, I loved it. And so I'm sort of, it's brought me into this new genre mm. as well as being a brilliant game in and of itself, the conventions of the genre, it is a really brilliant um, example of it in the, kind of in the same way. I'd never really played a rogue light or like before Hades. Mm. And that has eased me into that genre as well. Yeah. So, you know, these these superb quality indie games of the last 10 years, um, this is one of the, the very, very, very best for me. And, and yeah, I, I do sort of sum it up in my head as like Dark Souls-ish mapped onto Super Metroid with some Tim Burton sheen and sort of funny and charming little animations and, and, and cute, cute things to find. Um, as much as I like the game itself um I, I didn't you know i wasn't so good at it or so interested in getting that good at it that i could see the the hardest challenges but the most amazing things for me and i guess it's part of me being more interested in the industry and how the sausage is made is just that the two essentially two designers three designers four designers made this giant game and they're so laid back about it in interviews it's it's got to be the australianness of it all but there's just something utterly remarkable. And, I, and as I was playing it, that sense of awe, there was almost a meta feeling, like an imp- impressiveness outside the game, knowing how many people made it. And and you might say, oh, well, you should, you know, judge the game on face value. Don't worry about who made it. Just, just you know, appraise what's there. But actually, for me, the fact that it was such a small ta- team deepened my love of it for some reason. Um, and I'll come back to that that just that taste and restraint that is sort of sorely miss you know taste and restraint is so difficult to to have in the first place in your team you know when you get to triple a level and thousands of people working on a game it's just you know see you later I, you know miyazaki the dark souls game are very very rare uh, exceptions of of uh, uh, taste and restraint examples rather but I think this this game just sets such a high benchmark, really, for indie games, and no wonder the sequel is is so looked forward to. You know, I, we I think we've kind of covered why probably plenty of people don't like this game, don't like its peculiarities, you know, the idiosyncrasies of it, um, and the difficulty of it. But I'd say if if you know that you like exploration and you know that you like, um any type of twitchy game where even the single uh, button input can get you into trouble. So if you like mastering button inputs, and it's different from something like Celeste because it's not rote. Okay, it is maybe for the platforming challenges, but certainly not for the combat. You know, for the combat, you need a real mastery of all your tools in midair, split second. And that high skill ceiling means that you can get as good as it uh, at it as you want, really. Uh, and you don't have to get so good that you can't see an ending, which is still pretty satisfying. So, yeah, I just I just really loved it. I just feel really full up by it. You know, it's just a, it's just a four course meal of a game. Even if you beat just the Hollow Knight as your final boss, it's still a massive experience and really rewarding. And for the price I paid, I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. So uh, it's an easy recommend. However, as ever you know i wouldn't necessarily recommend it to someone who didn't have the patience to practice at platforming challenges and and especially kind of boss combat but yeah overall super 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 impressed excellent thank you very much um for myself um as mentioned this was my pick for uh volume 11 for the game that i wanted to cover and leon graciously added to the list um the reason is that 
clearly after three and a half years i've mentioned that some of the the challenges i'm finding is challenging this time around my muscle memory has gone so the combat didn't really stick with me over those three and a half years and the story watching the the summary video um that i mentioned earlier my interpretation of the story was slightly different but there's clearly a lot of story there the stuff that I remembered, though, was the small stories with individual characters, not the overall lore. So, to some extent, the story didn't stick with me massively over those three and a half years. But nonetheless, I over those three and a half years, this game has climbed further up my favourite games lists that I do every so often. I know, Josh, you do as well. And how can that be? It's not like a Dark Souls where I kept replaying it and replaying it and replaying it and loving it more and more and more. And I haven't actually watched and listened to that much about this game in the interim. And yet, I would say it's gone from like maybe a top 30 to a top 10 game, like guaranteed top 10, probably top 5 game, without me playing it. And the reason for that, what has stuck with me, is the atmosphere, is the feeling I had when I was playing this game. And that comes from exploration. It comes from not knowing what's around the next corner and going around it anyway and just having to take in everything that the game is feeding me, the music, the, the aesthetic, the um, the enemies, the the different places and different areas you get to explore and the boss fights. And it all becomes about me just sitting in the atmosphere. And that last three-word review we had, Dark Souls obviously appeals to me, but the fact that you could refer to this game as cutesy, uh, the fact that other people refer to the bugs as adorable, and yet they also are creepy and crawly, exactly as you expect, uh, it's it's such a a pleasing um, game to to reminisce over, to recall, and to sink back into, as I have in the prep for this podcast. I absolutely adore this. I I've been looking forward to Silk Song for a long time, but I've been thrilled. And delighted to dive back into the game and re-experience some of this stuff in a way that almost feels like for the first time in some respects because I left it so long before going back to it. Um, I think the the biggest uh, sign to me that that I deeply and truly uh, have nothing but love for this game really is every time I hear someone mention it, I have a warm feeling inside me towards that person. I want to hear what they've got to say, positive or negative. I want to hear what they've got to say about this game. And there are plenty of games I played that I don't think about at all three and a half years after. And for Hollow Knight to be so uh, present, despite me not having played it for so long, um, is exceptional. I can't speak higher than that than to say that it's still in my thoughts on a weekly basis uh, three and a half years later. That's my sum up. Uh, Josh, no, sorry, John, we'll go to next. Yeah, I think I've probably already given my hand away over the course of this podcast with uh, very little but fairly effusive praise for the game. So I think we can probably keep this fairly short. Um, I also have found it very difficult to stop thinking about Hollow Knight since the first time I played it. And even since the first time I heard about it being being discussed when I probably went and looked at a few pictures it's something that I've always had in the back of my mind as that sounds really cool or I really enjoyed that I need to continue playing it at some point I'm really looking forward to playing it now that I have played it I look back on it very fondly and am quite keen for a replay at some point if I can find a full 50 60 hours 
Um, obviously, the the sensible thing to do is just to sit here and wait and hope that Silk Song comes out in probably the day that this podcast is released would be the uh, the sensible day for them to release it on the fourteenth of February. So you know, there's still hope there that that might happen. It might be a a very quiet, sneaky release date like that. You know, don't take that away from me quite yet. <laughs> but um, I think this is sort of a um, a positive and a negative, and it's something that you hear a lot of people talking about with Dark Souls, and obviously all the comparisons are, are very similar. But I think there's a there's an element with Hollow Knight where some of the things it does are so good that it makes other similar games look bad and it's in some ways difficult to play other games in the same genre after playing Hollow Knight and I found that with a handful of other similar Metroidvania and some kind of Souls-likey Metroidvanias where they just don't have all of the things all lined up that Hollow Knight has and it, it suffers because of it and even something like Metroid Dread that I'm still playing and has taken me about two months to get 15 hours into it just doesn't quite fill me with the um the enthusiasm that i've ever had with hollow knight and unfortunately i can see the cracks and the things that i dislike probably more than i would otherwise because this other near perfect game exists and there is that sneaking thing in the back of my brain of why am I playing something else when I could just play Hollow Knight again? Or it, it, uh, it, it's a tricky one, but I mean, needless to say, in my mind, it is near top of class for genre and just in general. You've mentioned it being potentially in your ten favorite games, and I don't really do numbered things like that very easily. But if I was going to sit down and do it, it would it would certainly be uh, be very high up on my own list. So, hearty recommendation for anybody who is interested. Excellent, yeah. Thank you very much. And to round us off, Josh. Yeah, after both James's and John's um, appraisals, I feel like me saying, "Yeah, it's really good. I really, <laughs> I really love it." It's maybe not in my. Um, top 10 in the same in the same way it, it sounds like it is well maybe not for john but you know yeah. what i mean high, really really high up in esteem it's maybe not that you know that far up for me it's certainly amongst my favorite games released in the last um you know 10 years um i i think it's really exceptional and the fact that it even rubs shoulders with the likes of super metroid and and um Symphony Night, um, I think, speaks a lot to its quality. I think of the indie efforts to replicate what those two games did, um, I think it's the most successful, at least by my estimations. Um, I think not only, you know, does it does it compare well to those legendary titles, I think it does the most to differentiate itself from those those titles and carve out its own identity um as much as i like other games like axiom verge and and um guacamole to a degree is guilty of this as well um you can see super metroid in those games um you can see symphony of the night in a lot of other games that that emulate um you know to seek to you know emulate um what those games did in this space um, Hollow Knight has its own identity, has its own feel, has its own 
personality and its own moments and situations that are uniquely Hollow Knight. Um, and I think that's that's huge. Um, so yeah, highly, highly recommend it. Absolutely love Hollow Knight. Excellent. Thank you very, very much all. Of course, I need to thank John, Josh and Tom, as well as all of our correspondents and, of course, all of you for listening. Uh, next issue is 506, where we will talk about the legacy of the genre-defining Hollow Knight with Nintendo's copycat title and the reason we have the term Knight-alike. Super, um, Met- Metroid? D- d- don't know. Maybe it'll do well. Can't say. Oh, <laughs>